0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to The Late Late Show, where I'm joined by Tumlin Rose, a current head of English based in their school in Cambridgeshire, and tonight Tumlin and I will be exploring which novels are effective in teaching Key Stage 3 students and how impactful they could be. We have several recommendations for you and would love for your comments and ideas too as we settle in for an hour of literature focused discussion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of The Late Late Show with myself, Richie. This is my first show with Teachers Talk Radio, and I think perhaps it might be an idea to start with a little bit of background about me. This upcoming September will be my 10th year of teaching after starting my career in Wellingborough as an ITT teacher of English. I continued there for a second year as an ECT before making the tough decision to move closer to home to a school in Peterborough. After spending three years in Peterborough, I moved to a school in St Ives in Cambridgeshire to become a key stage four coordinator again of English, and a year later became the head of English there for three years. After achieving what I set out to do, last September I was appointed to an assistant principal role in a different school in Peterborough, where I oversee the English and film department, as well as the whole school's reading and fluency strategy. My hobbies include Liverpool Football Club, rugby union, reading and running, and i have recently and perhaps rather foolishly accepted a london marathon 2024 placement so i'm sure over the course of the next six months i will inevitably be cursing my decision during the winter training months hopefully that gives all of you a little bit of familiarization with me and if you're still tuned in and didn't turn off at the supporting liverpool admittance we might just make it together over the course of this next hour uh tamlin i'm joined uh, by you today how are you
2: yeah, I'm good,
1: thanks. Absolutely. Really well. I'm good, I'm really glad you are my first guest. And uh, at this point, I would like to welcome Tumlin, uh, who's current head of English at a school in Cambridge here. And as I said, I'm delighted to welcome Tumlin as my first guest. She's an absolutely brilliant practitioner who has an incredible vision for all things in education, but especially within the English curriculum. How are you this evening?
2: Yep, yeah, I'm good. Just uh, enjoying my summer holidays as I'm sure everybody else is it's listening.
1: I know, I know. Unfortunately, though, it's it's towards the back end, but we won't talk too much about going back to school quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're um, we're here to discuss and give a little bit of an insight into some Key Stage three novels, which we have found some success in teaching and hopefully offer to our listeners some ideas about what they could also explore in teaching their students too. So if anybody is listening and would like to call in or text into the show, please do feel free to do so with your recommendations and we'll read them out towards the end. So firstly, I think it's important to explore how important novels are in the curriculum. Uh, We give so much time as English teachers working through novels and dedicating time to them. So Tamlin, I'll, I'll pose you your first question. In your opinion, why are the right novels so important to teach in secondary schools?
2: Oh, for loads of different reasons, obviously. Um, pitched at the right level, um, you can, students can just explore a whole host of different contexts and experiences. Um, it's a, you know, the right novels are a brilliant way into some really difficult ideas and themes. Um, the right novels can also um, kind of allow access to Lots of obviously reading skills, but also writing skills, speaking and listening skills, and you know, not to mention uh, empathy, um, lots of different uh, perspectives on social, moral, historical context and things. So, I think if you choose the right novels, you can really open up um, your students' love of reading as well as you know, a whole different kind of route to a, a different type of education.
1: I think something that you touched upon was difficult themes. And as English teachers, really, we are quite blessed in that we can explore so many themes that could, you know, trigger quite a a range of emotions in English, you know, as as well as history, I suppose, as well and other subjects. But it does seem to me like in English, we, we have an absolute opportunity there to actually discuss difficult themes within society, I suppose, and, you know, and share that experience with our students. Um, I, you know, without going into too many different novels at the start, I always remember of teaching of Mice and Men and how difficult some of those themes are, but actually what the students get out of it when teachers, you know, explore the themes based around the language being used, it's actually a really good experience to see, you know, the reaction of some of these students. Have you felt that at any time as, as well, not just with this novel, but with anything else?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um of mice and a really interesting one, well, isn't it? Because it's uh, there's loads of kind of contentious opinions um, uh, about whether or not it should be removed from the curriculum. And I think lots of schools have made the decision to take it away. But I think lots is missed there because it's about opening students' eyes to you know the way the world was um, and to be critical of it and to understand that Steinbeck is, you know, highlighting issues um, back in 1920s Um, You know, California, America, and um, and it's shocking, and it's a you know it's a brilliant way to kind of open up that dialogue to to look at how language is used, how it's changed, how powerful language can be. Um, So yeah, I I think novels like of mice and men that have got lots of difficult issues. You know, you can stop, you can spend time exploring them. It's not really about um, having an opinion on i don't know those racial issues etc it's about looking at how language works and just looking at how that is connected to a context because all novels are a product of their context aren't they and it's about understanding that and how times change
1: absolutely and i think a lot of students feel an easy reading now because of the issues that are yeah. explored makes them feel uncomfortable and that's that really is 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 a good thing to a certain extent because they know what the language what language or what themes are being used is is incorrect in today's society so you know it is it's really important actually not to shy away from some contentious issues but actually to challenge them as well um you also mentioned speaking and listening which is really important actually because you know as the years have gone by the the weighted element of the speaking and listening exam has become less and less until it's now zero i mean you know even thinking about reading novels and, and student reading whether that be popcorn reading or actually just being read to you know how how do you think students speaking and listening skills develop through novels
2: i think one of the key things the more you read and the more you're read to the more you get to experience um you know good reading and um and also vocabulary and also you know different genres of text, different styles of writing um, and naturally, they're things that you kind of then take on board yourself um, and you can kind of mimic in your, um, you know, even just your speech writing, etc. is all massively improved uh, by having, by, I suppose, by having good examples of grammatical forms and things, you know, being exposed to those all of the time, you know, your standard of speaking just naturally is, is better without even realizing it. Um, And that's something that you can really tell students who read, um, you know, when they then, they're far more articulate than students that, you know, shy away from reading or who aren't particularly interested in reading. Um, So I think over the last few years, especially with COVID as well, I think students find standing up and speaking or debating or even writing speeches really, really quite difficult.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and we don't seem to do enough of it, I don't think, because no. obviously the, wait, the waiting has been taken away, which renders it almost, you know, I, I don't want to say useless because I think it's a really good experience for students to stand up in front of their peers and discuss topics that they choose. But it doesn't seem as if there's a lot of focus really on the speaking and listening element throughout the curriculum. So actually exploring that throughout the correct novels as well was a really good idea. Um, we, we've touched on a couple of things about what students gain then from studying the right novels, and before we go on to talk about, you know, creating schemes of learning and, and the actual novels that people have, and we also would recommend. Um, what else do you think students gain from studying the right novels?
2: Um, I think we've we've kind of touched on lots of it already, but I think studying the right novel it, it acts as a springboard for being able to access lots of different areas of um, of the curriculum. Uh, as well as just English. Um, And you can, you know, just for example, I'm just thinking about, um, I'm just trying to think of a a good example. So you could, you know, when you, as you're reading a novel, you could kind of stop, pause and look at, you know, poetry, song lyrics, examples of nonfiction that, you know, are thematically linked to the text that you're reading. Um, as I mentioned before, you've got lots of contextual issues that you can kind of stop, have a look at. but your you know your question I guess is focused on the right novels it's quite difficult to get a novel that's the right uh pitched at the right level that's also got is kind of robust and you know academically challenging but also accessible um and I think that's all part of the whole you know encouraging reading right from you know year seven so that students are reading at their at the right level to be able to access those texts, and they become more challenging as they get onto GCSE. Um, I'm not sure if that's answered your question or not, but I think...
1: No, absolutely. Concerned. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. I mean, we, we mentioned how, how great the novels are and what you can learn from it. And I suppose that leads me on to my next question is, you know, what is important in the planning of the scheme of learning um, when, when you're looking at novels? And in your opinion, what should you consider when you are studying novels? What should be embedded into that scheme of learning?
2: Um, Pretty much uh, as much as you can cram in there. I think that, again, reading a novel, a class reader, should almost just be, um, you know, as you read, you should be able to access all aspects of the curriculum. Um, And if we're thinking specifically about English, we'd be looking to make make sure that we're including, you know, all of those skills that are assessed at GCSE right from year seven. So, you know, making sure that in our units of work, we've got a really clear sense of the final assessment, obviously, uh, and, your, you know, and where your formative assessments lie, but also that you're targeting, as I say, different genres of, of writing, reading, that you've perhaps, um, you know, you are allowing yourself to look at, I don't know, unseen poetry comparisons, looking at how, you know, a particular issue is expressed in a, a fiction text, but then also in some non-fiction. So, you know, for example, I'll give you an example that when you're if you're looking at anything to do with, you know, I suppose mental health, you can look at song lyrics are a great way into that. You've got some brilliant poetry you can have a look at, but then you've also got some nonfiction stuff, you know, um, Prince Harry, when he talked about his issues with mental health, you know, it's a, your novel and your scheme of learning is should it, it should almost be thematic, I think. Um, hopefully we've moved away from the days now where you just look at you know just that text and that's it um you know schemes of learning should be thematic and they should explore the text whilst also kind of almost acting as a bit of an umbrella to allow lots of different creative areas in as well um that's that's what i'd be looking for i'd be looking to make sure that your novel is kind of broken down um and where you can you're saying you know relevant homeworks and uh, perhaps extended learning projects that go with that you can incorporate any trips any visit you know visitors coming into school um and that as long as you you know i think I think with a novel the most important thing is you've got to finish it and um, sometimes we get caught up in all of the other things but actually the students really enjoy the story they really enjoy the narratives so it's about planning really carefully um and taking as much time as you need as well so some you know some of them kind of beefier, more challenging novels are going to take you a whole term, But that doesn't necessarily that shouldn't be boring. That should be, you know, you reading a chapter or a couple of chapters and then doing all sorts of different activities and expanding on that, you know, for as long as it takes. But yeah, I do think you you need to finish a novel and that all needs to be planned in. Um, So it's really cohesive, but bringing in lots and lots of other things as well.
1: Does that make sense? Uh Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'll go into what I found as well in terms of planning novels in a moment. But thank you, everyone, for your recommendations so far. We will be reading them out during the second part of the show. And just a reminder, if you are listening, please do send your recommended Key Stage 3 novels into us and help us to create a positive and helpful experience for all of those listening. Likewise, if you're listening to this as a podcast or using the listen back feature, please feel free to tweet us, and we'll retweet these ideas too.
3: It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German, and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability, or reason for studying.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
4: With exam results looming for students from all four home nations and around the world, Schools Week features an article concentrating on the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The article, written by a head teacher, says we need to continue to consider the additional burden of the pandemic. It reminds us that this year's Year 13s were part of a cohort who didn't sit GCSE exams and that this year's Year 11s were in Year 8 when lockdowns began, although the start of GCSE was supposed to be a return to normal for these students. Teachers too faced the challenge of a return to normal content, having had it reduced over the last two years. ECTs also needed some increased support in delivering the broader content for a number of GCSEs. Workload for pupils and teachers shifted and perhaps increased as schools tried to find the right balance of support, revision, and basic content coverage by often offering after-school and holiday intervention sessions. Whatever happens for individuals on results days this year, the ghost of the pandemic, he says, has not disappeared just yet. The Guardian reports on new local government association research which suggests council-maintained schools in England outperform academies in Ofsted ratings. The research found 93% of council-maintained schools were ranked good or outstanding by Ofsted as of the 31st of January 2023. This compared with 87% of academies that have been graded since they converted. The study also found only 57% of academies that were already an academy in August 2018 managed to improve standards from inadequate or requires improvement to good or outstanding, compared with 73% of council-maintained schools. The research has prompted many to question the evidence for a move away from council-maintained schools. Currently 80% of secondary schools and 40% of primaries are academies. Councils were last able to open maintained schools in 2012. A Department for Education spokesperson said academy reforms have played a major role in increasing the proportion of good or outstanding schools. Mary Bowstead of the National Education Union said allowing local authorities to open new maintained schools would boost the ability to respond to demographic changes by opening quality provision. Whilst the research has been seen by many as a warning about the risks of government policy on academisation, some have pointed out that because schools who are failing are required to convert to academies, the numbers are always going to be skewed. A report by the Children's Commissioner shows that eating disorders such as bulimia, anorexia and binge eating are on the rise in England. Figures suggest that in the UK, an estimated 1.25 million have an eating disorder but that young people under the age of 25 are disproportionately affected. The report points to NHS figures, which it says show a large and recent increase in the numbers of hospital admissions for young people due to eating disorders, with almost half being for those under 25. Whilst the large majority of those affected are female, admissions of young men have more than doubled in the period from 2015-16 to 2020-21. However, according to the report, whilst the number of children and young people starting treatment has more than doubled, so have waiting times for the beginning of treatment. Urgent cases now take more than 12 weeks to begin. The report suggests that government need to tackle some of the drivers of disordered eating, including online content and forms of social media. In the USA, the Education Secretary, Miguel Cardona, says the Supreme Court decision to eliminate affirmative action may help to axe legacy and donor-based college admissions. The Guardian covers the story which focuses on the college admissions process across America. The wealthiest Americans, who are overwhelmingly white, benefit disproportionately from college admissions based on familial relations with alumni and school donors. Cardona praised colleges who have already stopped legacy admissions, including Wesleyan University, Johns Hopkins and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He said these and other schools were making sure they're doing more for diversity than they were doing before the end of affirmative action. He did, however, make his criticism of the decision by the Supreme Court clear when he said that there are brown and black kids who are going to feel like they're not wanted. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: So before we went to the news we're exploring the planning which needs to be considered when creating a scheme of work um, for teaching a novel and during my itt year the first scheme of work that i ever created was with my mentor claire who was a phenomenal teacher and mentor alongside a brilliant key stage three coordinator called sophie who showed me you know what can now probably be described as a very old school way of planning uh, a scheme of learning it's all on a3 sheets of paper Sectioning the pages into lessons we had posted not like notes dotted all around the a3 sheet with key ideas and tasks to consider for each lesson and we worked out how many weeks it would take for us to complete because as you quite rightly say at the forefront of anybody's you know planet should be to get that novel finished and perhaps even putting a couple of extra lessons in there as a buffer too but essentially we started with the outcome um and now a lot of people say that you shouldn't start with the assessment and work backwards but this was 10 years ago when we were planning and we really wanted to think what was it that we wanted our students to be able to do after the novel had been taught in each lesson is there an approach that you would recommend in planning schemes of learning in terms of structuring your schemes um or even in terms of assessment
2: um to be honest um I'm quite old school, so I would have literally like you've just said, but probably electronically now, um, you know, the amount of time I've got, so for me usually a big novel would be a term, um, and I would literally start, I would work backwards, so I would be saying to myself like what do I want the students to be able to do, so for example in year nine I would like the students to be able to write about the key themes or a character across the whole text, so everything i then do has to build um to that that final assessment amongst doing a million other things as well so i would start with that final assessment piece um, then i would divide up yeah how many chapters i knew i needed to cover i'd work that into homeworks into lessons um, that kind of thing Um, it's i think the the timing is crucial and no matter how long you think it's going to take you you absolutely need a buffer because things happen, people put plan trips that you know are not on the timetable etc, and the worst thing in the, in the world is honestly where the kids can't finish the novel. They're really, really cross with you when that happens. So, um, and you know, and you want them to talk about a whole text as well, because actually synthesizing all of those ideas in one final written response is, uh, you know, a skill in itself, a huge skill in itself, being able to, you know, be disciplined enough to select you know three key areas of a novel to write about a character or a particular theme you know learn your quotations then how to write about them how to structure a response um you know to time um you know close text these are really difficult skills and they have to be built into the scheme of learning as you go um but as i mentioned before it's not all about that final assessment um those skills need to need to be built in um, so that you know students can write that, that's the same response at the end, but actually, you know you should be if you're dealing with a novel um but, I don't know, can I use an example of one that we've done Oh absolutely yeah,
1: please record? do yeah, yeah yeah,
2: yeah so we so we've just recently been looking at a monster cause with year nine now that's a tricky one because lots of lots of schools do that much lower down in either seven year seven or year eight, but it's um, I was really very much of the opinion supported by the colleagues that whilst it's quite an accessible novel i.e. there's not it's not particularly challenging in terms of, some of its language Um the I you know the themes of grief and denial are really quite mature so um we we chose to put that there but it also meant that we did it in quite a short space of time and actually it could have done with a bit longer um you know and sort of thinking of including as we go along some poetry um some great daryl hannah poetry is a really good poem called my dad did that we could you know that we that I wanted to be able to incorporate into our scheme of learning just from a different perspective, um, you know, about sort of not being understood, about being isolated because this tragedy has happened to this little girl, the teacher doesn't understand. But then, like I said before, you've also got lots of um, articles and things on grief, on, you know, really famous people that have talked mm-hmm. about their own experiences of grief and denial and poor mental health. So I think your scheme of learning needs to include those as well. Also, if there's a film version, use it, because actually some students find it quite difficult when just reading a novel got to visualise and kind of get into characters and things and just showing them, you know, snippets and clips as you go along. And you can, you know, you can use the movie in a wanna or you can choose to kind of break it down and watch it in chunks. which actually, is quite often more effective. Um, you also need to make sure that all of your lessons cover a lot, you know, a, a huge variety of skills. So one lesson might have a very specific focus on, you know, um, language analysis, you might be looking at some small extracts and focusing on how a writer uses language,
0: then you might get
2: to the end of the chapter and decide to look at that structurally and think about, you know, like English language paper one, question three, so it's about including lots and lots of different skills, even, you know, even really down in lower school in year seven, you'd be doing the same thing, it would be a bit more watered down, it would be a bit, you know, the the, the approach would be more gentle, but that's what we should always be doing, we need to be building these skills so by the time students Get to year ten, year eleven, that they are really comfortable with how to explore a whole novel and how you know how a writer delivers a big range of ideas. You know, being well informed in you know in terms of context and language choices and structural features. You know, and that ultimately is the aim of the English language and literature GCSE. So that's that is sort of how we would go. Well, I would approach it. Um, it, literally old school so start at the end and kind of then work it all in it is a bit of a jigsaw puzzle and it never goes to plan if I'm honest. Um, and you end up having to kind of leave you know leave bits out and you have to do a bit of emergency reading to catch up because you know people have gone on a trip or whatever um but so far it you know it it's worked most of the time.
1: There's there's a couple of like really good points there. I'm just gonna go back over if that's okay and and just to reiterate I mean, what you said at the final part though, where you have to do a couple of emergency reading lessons. <laughs> I personally adore those lessons because if you have the right novel and you have the right book and you're doing a prolonged period of time where you're going to have to read for one reason or another, and you you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, I've got to read for like forty minutes now because we didn't do the other twenty minutes beforehand, so I've got to double it up actually those lessons you know are when done properly are probably worth the weight in gold because that's yeah. prolonged reading where students are really buying into the characters or the plots or the themes and i i personally remember when i was in a level uh, and i can't believe I'm about to admit this but my a level teacher um actually used to read weather and heights to us now obviously most a level teachers are like no you should go away and read and we're not spending lesson time reading um but actually without her reading I think to what was actually back then around about and even split between boys and girls I think most most of us especially the boys was just enamored with her she had a beautiful Irish, Irish accent and um, I think that's the reason why like even now I still love Wuthering Heights I and mean, it always reminds me of her so you know those prolonged reading lessons I don't think anyone should really try and, and shy away from and actually there's a lot of Value in those reading lessons because that's where the depth and the character you know really gets in and you know not being critical at all about of the youth of today but how many students do you think in your class of 30 say actually go home and read for 40 minutes a day you know in their own time or have that experience you know they they probably
4: don't. I Um, also
2: think as well when you read so uh, students love being read to um once hmm. you and the more you do that the the more they get used to having you know having novels and things read to them and actually um to read for 40 minutes is a really good way to model good reading so um you know and sometimes i'll i will read the, i'll be the narrative voice and i'll allocate parts so you know um, the students have to be on their toes because they have to read uh you know characters voices um other times we'll do popcorn reading but actually they read if i if given the choice they would much rather be read to um, another thing that I've done as well is put the put an audio on um, for a chapter with uh, a set of kind of basic, compre- just really basic recall comprehension questions for them to kind of listen to. And then it's just, you know, jot down one word answers or circle the right response because that keeps them on their toes a little bit as well. But I think you're absolutely right. I think that just reading, I, I read at A-level now, um, not, at, not at all because I don't trust everybody to not read the text. Um, But I think if you're, you know, if we're reading Gatsby, I think, you know, using the accent, which probably is not as great as it should be. But, you know, we do. I do try and read with an accent. I do try and make sure it's authentic and the characters have slightly different voices and they just, you know, the class goes silent and they and they do really enjoy it. So, yeah, maybe it's not such a bad thing to have to do those emergency reads every now and again.
1: No, I mean, touching on the only the only negative really, and again another admission is um Monster Calls also have um I've taught as a as a scheme of learning and I never I didn't actually keep with the rule of always keep a chapter ahead because I wanted to experience the novel with the students there as well. Uh because I've never read it before. So, you know, the, the golden rule really is always stay chapter ahead so you know what's coming. But actually towards the end, I was reading out loud and there, there's a couple of times about giving too many spoilers away for teachers who might be thinking about doing this. There are a couple of times at the end where I had to stop and check myself because I could feel that lump in my throat just like growing and growing. And I thought, I, I can't break in front of these year nine kids, they'll eat me alive. But I looked, <laughs> I looked around and actually there, there were kids there with heads in their hands and they were so respectful of each other, actually, uh, and I think that for me as a teacher, even after you know nine or ten years of teaching, actually to see that where people are really struggling with the theme of of the book or something, an event that's happening that might have a personal connection with them, and to see other people respect what you know if they're crying and not making fun of it, I think really actually you don't get that too often. You know if, if you see someone perhaps crying in the playground you don't might not have that reaction but it's that experience that that whole class including me you know as a teacher had where yeah. it's such a, a momentous occasion and everyone had that mutual respect for each other and it you know as a class of 30 at the end of the day and it's, to experience I mean, that with students was yeah. actually quite nice for me too
2: i completely agree and and also so when you when you read a novel with a class you invest like you've said before you invest in the characters and the plot and the details and you discuss and you explore in lots of different ways, but sometimes that is just, you know, it's just a class discussing. Well, well, Miss, why is he doing that? I don't get it, blah, 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 you know, and you you, you talk about it. And I think that builds a sense of empathy. Um, And for me, that's far more effective than a a one-off PD lesson every other week where everyone's just desperately trying not to be silly, because actually it's sort of applied to a real life situation that sadly, lots of children will be able to, you know, relate to um and i do think it I, I think you're right i think it builds a tolerance i think it builds a respect and actually it does stop them from being silly um and nervous and awkward because lots of you know quite often that silliness is born out of being feeling awkward and uncomfortable but because you 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 know you've discussed it you've talked about it you've done activities you've you know looked, looked at things from lots of different angles like you say they're then really invested in listening to you read um yeah and it, I mean The Monster Cause is the saddest book I think I've ever read, actually. So um I'm not surprised to have a lump in your
1: throat yeah. Yeah, so we are gonna stick that one down then for a recommended read then for all of the listeners. Absolutely. That's gonna be a that's gonna be our first one is a monster, uh, a monster cause there by Patrick Ness. It is phenomenal. Um the importance of planning around the novel I feel is as you mentioned too, the novel is used as a satellite or an umbrella, something which skills are taught through and around. So the analysis of language, of course, taken from the extracts of the novel itself, but the non-fiction elements, as you alluded to earlier, the scheme of work is based around the novel. And a novel that I planned and a recommendation from my point of view was Annabelle Pictures, My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece," And that was actually the first scheme of learning I mentioned earlier that we planned uh, for a year nine class. For those who are not familiar with the novel, it's a fiction text exploring the life of a 10 year old who lost his sister in a suicide bomb attack. And what follows is parental separation, bullying at school and the befriending of a Muslim girl, which his alcoholic dad is opposed as it was Muslim suicide bombers who killed his sister. It's a really good text, which is rich in cultural capital for the exploration of xenophobia, racism, separation, loss, grief, alcoholism, bullying. There's so much in there. And we really wanted to make sure that these were covered, you know, the themes in the lesson within the novel, but also teaching skills based around it. So for example, we use the London terror bombing attacks to create a non fiction piece of writing. And we have the background and the context of, 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 you know, that event, which also goes in with the novel. Um, we ask students to create and study poetry center around grief and loss and analyse themes through the poem, but also have the knowledge from, you know, the novel of what grief entails too. So, you know, there's you mentioned earlier about a monster cause and I've you know, I mentioned some things about My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece as a satellite texts. Um, you know, have have you done that with any other novels that you could perhaps recommend to the listeners, perhaps the poetry, the on fiction or any exam techniques through a novel that you've taught as well?
2: Yeah, so um, we, I've looked at, so, and included um, some articles from Prince Harry, um, just uh, and looking at how grief is presented, you know, from a, a kind of a, quite a famous figure and you know and, and obviously death of uh, Princess Diana was you know huge um and so we looked at the way that um grief or, or is experienced by someone I think he was only about 10 when she died um and then we did a comparison between um that and um a poem called My Dad Did which is a poem by Sophie Hannah and it's I think what's her name and it's really sad and it's about a child who comes back after the holidays and they're asked to write about their you know what they've done over the uh, summer holidays, and she just keeps writing, "My dad did, my dad did," um, and she, oh, the teacher gets more and more frustrated and angry. they did what? What did your dad do? Your dad did what?" And then it turns out that just because she's young, she's missed the e out, and her summer holiday. You know, it, she's trying to say, "My dad died." And it's just the saddest poem in the world. And it's just about looking at like misunderstanding, feeling isolated. So, you know, you can, I've done that where we've looked at um, kind of fiction texts and non-fiction texts, but also any opportunity to look at anything um, unseen. So if you can incorporate any kind of unseen poetry or prose texts or, uh, you know, uh, non-fiction texts at all, and you, you know, to be looking at points of view, the way that point of view is presented. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. So, in the library, looking at some articles about, um, you know, technological developments and advancements, and the way that women um, were kind of viewed, uh, or you know, as not being, I suppose, able to be involved in that, those scientific breakthroughs, etc., because of this kind of patriarchy. Um, that's quite interesting when you then look at how women are presented across time which is quite easy to do through any any form of literature actually to be honest um so yeah there, there are just some examples but you can look at so for English language the GCSE papers both you can you can look through uh, you know through any of those questions through any novel that you pick up it's really easy to address all of the GCSE skills through a novel um just by sort of breaking them down and sort of working about working out which ones you can use. So Like you have said, any extract that you think is quite, you know, meaty in terms of its linguistics, you can go through and you can kind of closely analyse short paragraphs um, for, you know, you can use whole chapters for your question three, paper one, question three. So that's really effective. So how does a chapter build? You know, if you think about things like philepsis and analepsis, you can really use that and explore How a narrative voice works Um, we've also looked at um comparing poetry as well so if you take two thematic you know poems just sort of you know loosely linked it's a really good way into that because the more students are exposed to those more difficult skills which are comparison and unseen um you know the, the better they'll be at it hopefully a bit later on so um lots and lots of examples of just I don't know, it's just about scouring the newspapers sometimes, online newspapers to find, especially the pre 1900s stuff, that's quite tricky. But if you go, I think a staple of mine, is anything about education, you can always go to Charles Dickens and look at the ragged school pieces. Um, There's, you know, there's so much out there um, that you can incorporate that I think it's actually really easy to do now. God bless the internet.
1: Yeah, I know, where would we be without it? I um, (laughs) am, you know, something that something that you, that you mentioned was the unseen poetry. And for me, it's always difficult, I think, for teachers when they're planning that unseen poetry element of obviously that key stage four exam and it's a conversation for another day, I'm sure. But actually bleeding in those unseen poems is actually a really good way of of getting students used to unseen poetry and the skills that really you need for that unseen poetry section. And also, you know, just, just in general, I'm not saying that we, we do these things just to pass an exam But at the same time, it's really useful, actually, if we could cross correlate, you know, the fiction stuff with with the poetry stuff, too. And I think it's going to be exciting to use text as an umbrella and as a satellite and embed everything in rather than an old school way of, right, it's term, you know, it's term three. Uh, We're now going to do lots and lots of poetry in the next six weeks. And by the end of the third week, the students and the teachers are probably dead on their feet as well. So, yeah, that's that's a really good way of introducing that unseen poetry, as you said.
3: It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying.
1: Let's go on to some of our recommendation, like some of our recommended novels then. And we've already mentioned, I'm sure, some of them. And hopefully people who are listening, we will get on to, to, to your recommendations too. But, you know, we've probably mentioned, we said A Midnight Calls before, um, My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece, The Lie Tree. One for me that was in my ECT year it was, we had a book called The Midnight Zoo by Sonia Hartnett. And it's a it's a short book. So if you if if people listening to this are looking for a short book, it's 208 pages and it's you can get through it quite quick. I would recommend it for a year seven or eight class. Again, because it's you know child fiction/slash teen fiction. It's sad, like that's all teen fiction is. So you are gonna have to bring some Kleenex with you. But essentially it's about two boys, Thomas and his younger brother Andre, who have fled their roman encampment which basically has been besieged by germans it's set in world war ii eastern europe and they carry wilma their baby sister in a sack and they found a bombed out town completely derelict it's just those three little children there who you come to find immediately endearing and they discover a zoo and in it are a wolf an eagle a monkey bear you know lots and lots of different animals who magically can speak and they tell their stories to the children as they try to understand what's become of their lives and when you know they try to figure out a way to release the animals and and uh, almost like what it's like to be free again and it's all you know very magical etc obviously you know it doesn't I'm not going to spoil the ending but you know I, I remember reading it it's, it's quite short I read it in a couple of nights I actually gave it to my wife who wasn't my wife at the time but um you know she, she is now not because of the midnight zoo book but even you know and she's not a massive reader and i remember that she enjoyed reading it as well and for students who have a, a shorter length of book or a shorter amount of time to study the book it's it's a really good one uh and that would be be one of my recommendations um any any more from you at all
2: um so this is an oldie but a very goodie. um this is a book by Anne fine called the tulip touch um, and it's absolutely brilliant and it's, it's not very well known and the good thing about that is that quite often if you pick quite a popular novel uh, class reader they've already done it um, in, at some point during key stage two so this one uh, no one has ever read before um, I've never I've never taught it to year seven and then and someone will go well, I've known this I've read this um, so it's fine and fine um, and the, the blurb at the back of the book it says something like um, nobody is born evil it's basically about a a relationship between two girls um one of whom is completely kind of gaslighted and manipulated by a little girl who we find out is suffering you know horribly from abuse at home Her, her home life is absolutely appalling and because of that she acts out she does terrible things um and it's just about how someone can get sucked into all of that and how difficult it is to break away so it deals with like relationships it's really poignant to young younger children like younger teenagers because it's about um sort of how how you can be drawn by these things that seem really exciting at first but then they become increasingly more destructive as she gets older by the time she gets to the end of secondary school some of the things that she's doing are you know not only are they illegal but they're they're absolutely completely immoral they're awful but by this time the little girl's kind of all caught up in it and it's the, I, again I won't give the ending away but if you've never come across it before it's a brilliant read Um there are some really imaginative fabulous things in there the tulip touch turns out to be um, the ability to lie with such incredible attention to detail um that no one would ever think it's a lie and the character's dad Natalie's dad calls it the tulip touch because tulip can fabricate absolutely anything in really intricate detail it's a complete pack of lies um, and she goes from a girl that you feel sorry for, and you feel huge amounts of empathy for, to one that, you know, you've really struggled to to like. And it's about, you know, it's just about how we deal with those things and how we deal with neglect and abuse and, you know, the support networks that are there or not there for them. It sounds quite dark, actually, and it is quite a dark book, but it is it is suitable for Year 7 and they absolutely love it. It's got some brilliant stuff in it
1: sometimes dark is good it's that hook in there and you know I'm not saying they don't read anything too dark in primary school and it is sometimes though it is a hook and it's it's that immediate shock reaction that sometimes draws students in as well so you know it's real life as well yeah and, and they are perhaps the best books you know the ones that people can relate to and students can then be empathetic towards You know, not just just the novel, but everything that goes around it, too. You mentioned actually that, you know, some people, some books are taught in Key Stage 2. I, when I first became head of English, um, I went to, so I became head of English in in the January, but obviously for a September start. So it gave me about six months to prepare the curriculum that I wanted to deliver at Key Stage 3. And I went around our local feeder schools and on our curriculum was, of course, Private Peaceful. And i think at the time it was quite eye-opening that i went to around five or six different primary schools see what they they were reading in years five and six and a lot of them read private peaceful a lot of them read warhorse you know Mm. in those year groups so there's probably nothing worse than you know teachers being so enthusiastic right we're going to read private peaceful to a new brand new shiny group of year sevens with their eyes glinting and, and you know they can't wait to get started in english and a couple of people put their hand up. oh we did this in year six it's yeah um, you know um so any anybody listening i i mean it's just a a recommendation is actually get to your local feeder schools and see what they're learning as well because you know it it, is quite difficult to reteach a novel when students know what's happening now obviously that you're going to be teaching hopefully far more superior school skills and different skills at the same time really want something to be new so just a word of advice really is is to make sure that you know students aren't experiencing the same book twice perhaps I mean speaking about the same book twice and I'll go completely against what I've just said but based on this is that I taught to a group of year sevens our first group of year sevens Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and the issue with that and you mentioned it earlier about the films is a lot of people have seen these films and perhaps not read the books but For me for harry potter lots of students maybe just in the in a couple of schools that i've actually brought this to they haven't actually read the books and that is a completely different experience than watching the film you've got characters like peeves who've never even mentioned in the film and so much happens that while students know what might be coming up lots of students when i taught it were far more excited well this wasn't in the film this didn't happen oh my gosh and actually that was really rewarding too so, you know, yeah. just because there is a very famous film about and like I said, a Monster Calls film is brilliant, um, that is on Netflix, so it's widely available to people. Well, actually, there's also nothing wrong with if they've seen the film, perhaps reading the book as well, because we all know the books are better anyway. Um, so, so that would be another um, recommendation to me. Yeah,
2: I just, I just thought, actually, um, i previously worked at a secondary school that has 66 feeder schools. Um, and so it makes that job even more difficult you know when you're trying to think of a good a year wow. seven yeah. fast reader and the way to combat that actually is to find a brilliant author and sidestep and go to one of the less popular novels which is how i came across the tulip touch because Anne yeah. fine was huge you know when i first started teaching um but everyone had read all the popular ones it was just a sidestep thinking well oh, she's a great writer um You know her teenage fiction is brilliant, and it's so that that's possibly something to think about if you're if you're coming across that issue because it is it's a nuisance.
1: (laughs) Another one that I've um, actually experienced this year was The Prince of Mist, and again, never read it before. I've never even heard of it uh, before this year, really. If I'm completely honest, and. It's again a, a relatively short book, two hundred and forty pages. So again, you know, if, if you're looking to do a book in a half term or a six seven week, then maybe this is a book for you. But you know, for me, this was actually a really good book that I'd never heard of, and a really good book I enjoyed reading, and the students enjoyed as well. And it's 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 set in nineteen forty three. Again, you know, the first first world war, and someone's father moves his family away from the city. So the main character's dad moves his, father, uh, moves his family away from the city to an old wooden house on the coast. But as soon as they arrive, strange things start to, to happen. And the main character, Max, discovers a garden filled with eerie statues. It actually took me a little bit back to Stephen King's The Shining with the statues there as well. Um, his sister's like plagued by unsettling dreams and voices. A box of old films is there as well. And it opens a window to the past. And there's always this figure, the Prince of Mist, in the background and and rumors about this you know this prince of mist and there's a mystery about a disappearance of a son as well who used to live in the house so there's lots of different ideas here about the prince of mist and it's a, a book so much about revenge it's about doing the right thing it's about not being drawn into temptation and actually it was a book that you know i i really enjoyed teaching and one that i've never heard of before before going to a new school so again you're constantly learning and constantly evolving because you know should I move schools again that certainly would be a book to, especially to year sevens that I would recommend to you know to teach because again the the themes around it is is incredible really
2: um, yeah I've heard good things about the Prince of mist actually, because it's um it's also a translation isn't it it is yeah
1: yeah is.
2: Um, so another I feel like I'm sort of diverting back to the classics here a little bit, because the tulip touch is quite, is a fairly old text actually, but another really good classic, well two actually, um, are Holes and The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. So these, again, these have been around forever um, and both have got really good film adaptations as well. The uh, Holes is brilliant. I think that's Disney actually, but The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas will never cease to be just the most amazing book um, because of its, uh, you know, it's used as an anti-voice. So, if anyone that doesn't know it, this is a little boy who's sh- um, shipped from Berlin with his father, who's a um, is you know a commandant um, in uh, during World War Two, um, and he's sent to Auschwitz um, to to run um, the camp. And um, obviously, he t- takes the family with him, and Bruno, the little boy, kind of goes out exploring and finds another little boy uh, on the opposite side of this this huge fence um, with a shaved head and he describes him as wearing pyjamas but and it it just tells the story of their friendship that grows how much they've got in common but also how different they are and then eventually he's persuaded to kind of go under the fence i won't give the ending away for anyone who doesn't know it but it's an absolutely amazing narrative voice because it's written from the perspective of bruno who's just a little boy and so you know he calls out with uh, sorry auschwitz He, he calls it out with because there's this kind of um, lack of understanding and his immaturity, you you know, he doesn't fully understand the situation that he's in. And so there are lots of these kind of um, misinterpretations of of what's going on. And, um, and it just makes it all the more heartbreaking that he because he doesn't understand he's so innocent. Um, But it's such a good book, it's such a good way to explore the horrors of um, the Holocaust um, and Uh, the you know the traumas of world war ii um and it opens the door especially if you can get your history department on board at the same time actually um quite often in year eight um because this is really a, a minimum of a year eight text um they quite often do world war ii in year eight so you can kind of combine with the history department and you can you know explore sort of context at the same time um and i just think it's a brilliant way to then incorporate again a good range of like of poetry of nonfiction articles, you've got the Diary of Anne Frank you can look at, um all sorts of things that you're able to kind of um explore through that particular book. But it's just it's so well written. Um it's by John Boyne, it's so well written and it's full of really gentle irony from this little boy who's clever but just completely ignorant of the situation that, you know that he's in the middle of. Um, and you know, and it deals with all sorts of themes like friendship, grief, um, loss. Obviously, the the whole kind of you know the idea of um like marginalisation and racism, etc., is absolutely brilliant. And for me, I you know I would even though it's, again it's a really old text now, I would teach that in a in a heartbeat again because it is really it's so good.
1: The innocence of of you know the narrator is again really endearing, and I think when we're looking at Key Stage three novels the characters in there has to be central to for for our students to perhaps you know buy into the characters and you know that has to be there so for these characters to have to experience some sort of setback or tragedy and then either overcome it or or perhaps you know fail to overcome it the characters in all of these books that we've mentioned are so strong and that's the buy-in isn't it really i think for for our students um as we as we wind down here I will get to people's um, recommended reads. Um, just a couple of quick fire questions. How do you and your department decide on which texts to teach?
2: Uh, it's quite often word of mouth actually, or people's previous experiences. Um, sort of, Unless you've got younger children um, of key stage three age, it's quite difficult actually to come across naturally good key stage three reads. So um, your librarian is always a good port of call if uh, you're not sure and then looking at the Carnegie winners and things like that. Um, but generally speaking, usually it's because someone's come across it, or um, you know, in a different school, or heard about it from a colleague. Um, and then we'll all have a read and decide what we think about it. And usually, someone is kind of says, you know, I'll put I'll put the unit together because they, they feel particularly connected to it. So that's quite an easy one actually. It's usually collaborative though.
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that's really important because, as you said, I, you know, coming to a new school last September, I've experienced so many good novels, actually, that I, you know, would certainly take with me and, and likewise, you know, in, in my other schools, too. A really tricky question, then. you might have already answered it. What is your favourite novel you've ever taught at Key Stage 3?
2: Um, I, do you know what? I, yeah, I, I'm going to have to go back to the Tulip Touch for Year 7 it's just brilliant it's a really good book uh, for young'uns. yeah that's mine
1: i think uh, for sentimental reasons i would probably go back to my sister lives on the mantelpiece actually as well um and what i didn't mention earlier was actually it's 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 it has that shocking and, uh, and appeal that we mentioned earlier when i think at the end of the first um end of the first chapter um someone takes the mickey out of the size of the boy's penis and that always obviously gets a laugh and from then like from the end of chapter one the kids are hooked then you know and and that's that's straight away the the boys especially are hooked and you know so I'd I'd go back to that one uh based around you know all of the things that I mentioned earlier so if anyone is listening who's not ready give it a read first because there are you know there are some choice words in there and some language as well which is xenophobic and racist so obviously have a have a quick read of it first beforehand before you start teaching now you have all been texting in all night and I did say I was going to take a few moments to read out some of your ideas. So Carlo De Silva has text in saying The Bones Barrow by zaina Frelon. Anna Drumbeater recommends The Dead Fathers Club by Matt Haig. Oliver Mills says Diary of a Wimpy, Qu- uh, Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw. Mr. I goes for After the War by Tom Palmer. Dominic recommends The Giver by Lois Lowry. And finally, Nick Shepley says Junk by Melvin Burgess so thank you all so much for your contributions that I'm sure you've given sufficient food for thought for our listeners too and as we wrap up on what has been an insightful and positive education of The Late Late Show I'd like to thank Tamlin for spending an hour with me and with all of us giving her views and opinions which hopefully you'll take away and develop into your own schemes of learning too so thank you so much Tamlin I really appreciate it pleasure Thank you all for your recommendations too and your interactions. And remember, even if you are listening back on to this uh, radio show as a podcast, please do tweet in your recommendations to the Teachers Talk Radio Twitter or my own personal one at at slack underscore nine. Thank you so much for joining us. I will be here again next week where I'll be looking at the life of a primary school ITT and ECT uh, teacher with my guest Lloyd Spridgin for us to hopefully all gain an insight as uh, I was about 10 years ago when I was a trainee. I don't know how long you were, Tamlin, but it might be useful for fellow trainees, <laughs> 20. So uh, so we're both out of touch. So it might be useful for fellow trainees, mentors, teachers, and leaders who have ITTs and EZTs in your school who can really tell us what it is that they experience and, and look forward to, or perhaps fear. Take care, everyone, stay safe, and I look forward to The Late Late Show next week at the same time.